0: You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit CrosspointChurchTX.org. Hey, what happened to you? You're singing so hard and trying to get it out there. Okay, maybe it's just me. You're like, Chris, you need to spend more time on the treadmills. What's your problem is? What you're saying? I hear you. I hear you. I'm living under your conviction. That's all right. Hey, all right, here we go. Behind enemy lines, we're in week three. It's our final week thinking about spiritual warfare. And um, the idea of behind enemy lines is the scriptural principle where Paul says to us, do not allow Satan, your e- the evil one, your enemy, to get a foothold. Which is a military term, as you know, to get behind enemy lines and to establish a base of operation that allows the enemy army or for you to advance into enemy territory. And so we, as a part of God's army, do not want to allow Satan to reach behind the lines and establish a foothold in our life, so he can advance his agenda, which is to condemn us and to defeat us. We want to fight the good fight. And so this morning, we're going to dig into this. Um, we're still in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 18, which is the longest passage in scripture on spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about this idea of what does it look like for us to establish a foothold for ourselves and to stand firm in christ and so we'll get to ephesians chapter uh six verses ten in just a few moments but there's a couple there's a story i want to share with you this morning and it's a story that i love just because it's a really cool story and it's from second kings chapter six and it's a story of the prophet elisha and the prophet elisha had, had received the mantle of being a prophet of god from elijah and so Elisha is now, um, the prophet Elijah had passed away, and Elisha and his servant were, were roaming around the country doing what prophets do, okay, in those days, which was saying, thus saith the Lord and, and prophesying. All right. And so he was moving around. But Elisha was in a, in a unique season of his life where he was receiving what they call Rama or a specific word of the Lord. And the Ramah that he was receiving was he was actually getting um, military information from the enemy of Israel. There was a there was an enemy and the king. They would have their strategy, the military strategy meetings and God was taking that information and tweeting it to Elisha. He was sliding into Elisha's, um, I guess it's X now, it's not Twitter. He was sending communication to Elisha individually so he knew, Elisha knew exactly the plan of the enemy against the nation of Israel. And so he would then go to the king of Israel and say, hey, listen, our enemies are going to attack us on this day, at this time, and in this place. So let's not be there. All right, and so time after time after a time, Elisha had received these specific ramas or words of the Lord, and told the king. And so they were able to avoid uh, the battle or the war that was going to be happening. And so the king of the enemy country was like, "What in the world is going on? It's like somebody's in the room with us, and they know our." our strategy and when we're going to be there, and when we're going to do it. And they're like, listen, we think, we don't know for sure, but we think it's this prophet Elisha. We think that somehow or another he's getting this information. We don't know who the rat is, but um, he's getting this information and he's telling them because consistently we see him go into the king and they have meetings. And the next thing you know, we have our battle plans that we do and they're destroyed. And so we think Elisha's the guy. And so they decide if Elisha's the guy, they're going to take him out. And so they come up with a battle and a strategy to take him out. And interestingly enough, in the story, this is the one time that he doesn't get a rhema from the Lord on what's about to happen, what the enemy army is going to do. And so Elisha and his servant and some others are with him and they travel to a certain place and they camp for the evening. And while they're camping for the evening, the enemy surrounds them. Well, his servant gets up in the morning and he's, you know, prepping for the day and doing whatever he's going to be doing. And as he looks up, he sees that they are surrounded. They are physically surrounded by the enemy army. And you can imagine his fear meter just kind of went up. And he's like, oh, my goodness, we've, we've been caught. Uh, we've been chased down. They've got us, whatever. And so he goes to Elisha and just kind of, I imagine he just shakes him and wakes him up and says, hey, 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 look, we're surrounded by the enemy. What are we going to do? And Elisha, I imagine, he's just quiet and calm. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? And rubs his eyes, washes his face, has some really good coffee and a donut. And that's what you're supposed to do, right? And so he has his coffee and his donut and he's over there and he's looking out and he's going, oh yeah, the enemy is all around us. Huh. And then instead of getting anxious, he prays. And here's his prayer. Lord, may my servant see what I see. And so the servant's eyes are opened in that moment. And what he notices in that moment is, yes, the enemy is there, but inside of the enemy encircling him is the Lord's army with horses and swords and all that that are flaming like fire and that the Lord's army had been there the entire time, had encircled his camp for protection and that the armies of the enemy didn't understand, but they understood that they couldn't attack and they didn't know why. And so then Elisha prayed and said, Hey God, may you scatter the enemies, the army of our enemies. And immediately the Lord's army began to attack and led them away. And so eventually to where the Israel's army was able to, to capture the enemy arm, the enemy's army and, and took all their weapons and all that stuff. And then just sent them on their way home. And And from that moment forward, the two countries weren't enemies for a long time. And why I love that story is this, is it reminds us that spiritual warfare is real. That we may not see it, we may not understand it, we may not get it, but the things that are heavenly happenings that are happening up here in heaven are also happening here. And God is doing his work and fighting for his agenda. He is fighting the battle and the war is raging And he is caring for his children And for us as his children He's doing what he does And so many times we're going about the busyness of our day That we don't even know that our camp is encircled by the enemy Because the Lord's army is surrounding us and protecting us But that doesn't make spiritual warfare any less real So if you have your Bibles Let's dig into Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 10 and following It says A final word Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm. Now I want you to, several times throughout this passage, stand firm or a version of standing firm is in there. And so I'll I'll highlight that. But you can highlight that in your deal because that's where we're going to camp on that idea today of what does it look like for us and why should we stand firm. So stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy or stand firm against the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground or stand firm, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared or able to stand firm. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now that word stand firm is, means standing ready to fight. It's an offensive and a defensive word. In other words, that you're standing firm, ready to fight, and you maybe have to go offensive, you may have to retreat, or you may just have to stand firm in your ground. And it also carries with this, carries with it this idea of enduring perseverance that you're able to stand firm for a long period of time and wait for the commands, that you're standing firm. And the other piece of this, too, is that you're standing firm not alone but with a group of people because the battle is raging, and our commander will communicate with us in the moment that he needs to communicate with us whether it's time to go forward in advance, to retreat, or to stand firm. But we have to stay alert and be ready to hear the words of the commander. Because in the midst of battle, there's chaos, and if we're not listening to the voice of the commander, then it's easy for us to be cut off from his voice and his directions, and people scatter when there's chaos. And so here Paul tells us, stand firm, ready to be on the offense or the defense, or just to stand firm next to each other, because the battle is raging. You just need to be prepared and stand with endurance. So why do we stand firm? Well, first of all, because spiritual warfare is real, right? So if it's real, then we have to stand firm because the battle lines have been drawn. We need to stand there. Another thing that I think is, was made more real to me and understanding to me is listening to a podcast just a few weeks ago, actually. And the interview was with a retired Navy SEAL and special ops and all that, and he was talking about their training, and one of the unique things about their training was they had hell week, and there was a specific day that they go to the beach, and they bury themselves in the beach literally up to their necks, and water just comes in. And their deal is that they they stay there as long as they can possibly stay there. And the the whole objective for the trainers is to get as many of those guys to quit and to ring the bell as possible. And so the entire time, they are speaking words of condemnation. They are speaking words of self-doubt. They are speaking words to make these guys who are the best of the best, have all these physical tools and mental tools and to say, you are not good enough to be this elite group. And so after a few hours, the cold, the wet, the sand, I don't know if you've ever had sand in places you don't want it, but it gets a little irritating and uncomfortable, water's lapping up to your face, and they're just hounding you. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. If you just quit now, if you quit now, just, if I just have five of you quit right now, the rest of these guys get to go home. You get to get home and have a meal, but this is over for everybody. If you, just five of you, and the guy that was being interviewed said the guy next to him began to wiggle his way out. And you could, he said, I could just, I looked at him and I could see, like, I, he's just far enough where we couldn't touch each other, but I could see that he was he was getting ready to quit. And he's hes wiggling his way out and, and he's like, no, hey, hey, Brett, don't quit. We got, we only have 14 more hours. Let's go, let's go five minutes at a time. Let's five minutes at a time. Let's just break it down five minutes at a time. He's like, dude, I can't do this. I can't do this. And he's like, I'm, I'm done. And so he begins to wiggle, and then he's looking around, and he sees another, another person begin to wiggle out, and he's like, oh my gosh, these guys are, they're going to regret quitting in this moment. And he said, I, he, goes, I, he goes, I'll be honest, I didn't do it, but somebody on our team began to sing. And began to sing a song that everybody probably would have known, and so everybody began singing that song, and he said it was brilliance in that moment because it distracted our minds from the place that we were at. It put us in a different place. It put us in a different mindset. And we were distracted by those things and for that singing than the the moment that we were in. and, And here's a guy who was literally, he had already gotten himself out and was beginning, beginning to take the steps to ring the bell. And the singing stopped him. And he looked around and he looked at his buddies in the eyes and he said, I cannot stand firm. I cannot not stand firm. And he turns around. And buries himself again to be in line. Spiritual warfare is real. Why do we stand firm? Because spiritual warfare isn't just a one-on-one battle. It's a team battle. And we need each other. And there will be moments when heck comes and it is overwhelming and there's chaos. And we're going to want to quit. And we're going to want to ring the bell. And that we together sing a song, the songs of the saints. To say that, look. Look who has gone before us and it hasn't rung the bell. We can stand firm in this position with endurance and with perseverance, not alone in our own strength, but in his mighty power and the power of us as we encourage each other and empower one another to fight the good fight. Amen. Because we're not fighting the battle alone. Spiritual warfare is real and we don't fight to get against each other, but we fight together. I've got your back is the mentality. I think one of the things that we need to realize, too, is that we actually have authority in our life that we don't realize that we have. If you look back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God created all of the universe, and in particular the earth that we live on, he looked over it and he looked at Adam and Eve and said, I give you the authority to rule over this place. And so that's why Adam named the animals and all the different things that were happening. But by Genesis 3... In Genesis 3, we gave over, Adam and Eve, our forefathers, gave over the authority to rule to Satan. That they looked at all the different things and Satan had them question the goodness of God in their life. And Satan said, listen, you've got all this different stuff, but, but how come you can't have that tree? And so in that moment when they began to question the goodness of God, that led them down the path to sin. And sin destroyed their relationship. And in that moment, in destroying their relationship with God the Father, it also, in that moment, they gave over authority. And they gave authority to Satan to have say into their life that he didn't have before. He became a potential commander and an authority and ruler in their life because of that moment. Because of our forefathers, we now struggle. That's our battle. In Christ, who's going to have authority in my life? So from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3, we see that handed over. But then we also see that it's about the middle in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God father comes in and he says, Listen, Satan, you've messed up. You now have authority. I get it for a little bit. I'm giving you authority for a little bit, but I also want you to know that the Son of Man will come and will crush you under his head. Serpent, you will be crushed under the heel of the Son of Man. The prophecy that Jesus would at one time reclaim authority back. And in John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, we see that Satan will be cast out. So victory is won, but on the cross, Christ reclaimed authority. So for us in Christ, we now have the authority. We now have the ability to say yes to God and no to Satan. To say yes to God and his commands and no to Satan. And so the ruler of our life matters about who we listen to. So why do we stand firm? Because our commander says to stand firm. Authority in our life is the commander. And Christ has reclaimed that authority. So why do we stand firm? Because he is giving us the orders look at Colossians chapter two you can hold your space or not or it'll show up on the screen but in Colossians 2 verse 6 and 10 it says and so now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord you must continue to follow him so it's that moment that you say yes to him that you you received a ticket and this is this is the struggle I think is that there are a lot of people that have said yes to Jesus. And that have recognized that his death on the cross is important and a significant event, and they need that. But this is a struggle for most of us is to continue to follow him. It's to allow ourselves to be obedient to him and to allow him to be Lord and master and to continue to follow him. And so here in this passage, it's this idea of that it's a moment in time when you say yes to Jesus, but also that it's a continual process of knowing him and growing to know him and to trust him. And so what happens because of that continuing to follow him, some other illustrations that Paul gives us, he says, then also let your roots grow down into him. So yesterday I had the privilege of mowing my yard. And it's a long privilege. Many hours. And so as I was going around the trees with my privilege, I realized it hadn't rained for a little bit. And one of the reasons that I noticed was because the ground had begun to separate from the roots of the trees. And it hadn't been able to to soak up the nourishment that it needed to have health. And so you can begin to see like some of the tree limbs and some of the different things weren't as healthy as they should be. And this is what Paul is talking about here. He says, let your roots grow down into him intentionally and purposely nourish the tree of life that you have and allow your roots to grow down deep because you need deep roots. You need. Your roots to grow out and deep so that life, when the winds of life blow, you're able to withstand. Because as we know, if the drought continues long enough, the trees will literally not have enough. And so when a windstorm comes, it will blow over because the roots have dried up and shriveled. And here Paul is telling us, continue in Him intentionally purposely nourish your relationship with him so that your roots grow down deep in him because life will happen to be strong in those moments and then he also continues this idea he says don't even let your don't even, don't only let your roots grow down deep in him but build your lives upon him that this foundation that we're to build our lives upon and and so jesus even tells us that if you build your life on anything other than him it's like sands that are shifting So when the storms of life come that you will be washed away and what you thought gave your life worth and value and meaning and have identity will be washed away. But if you build your life upon the rock of Jesus Christ and your identity and your worth and your value and your home is built upon him, the storms of life will come, but you will be able to withstand it. And we've seen it around our world recently. There have been storms that have come around the world and houses that are built cheaply or improperly get washed away because they're not built on the foundation. We have illustration after illustration of cheaply built houses. And Paul says for us, we will have the winds of life, the storms of life. Spiritual warfare is real. And if we pretend and we build houses of straw on other things other than Christ, our house will crumble. So continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down in him. Let your lives be built on him. So that your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So in other words, when the enemy comes and says, why, why can't you eat from that tree? You can go, shoot, I don't even care about that tree. i got 5,000 other trees. Don't make me question the goodness of God. I've got 5,000 other trees. Who cares about that tree? That tree's probably got fruit and it's stinky fruit. I don't want none of that. Have you ever had stinky fruit? Rotten fruit? There's a fruit in Thailand that it looks really good and you open it up and it smells like... Like the toilet. You know what I mean? It's bad. That's what Satan offers. It looks good, but when you open it up, you're like, "Ugh!" Oh, repulses you. And we'll get to why he does that. So Satan wants to challenge you the goodness. I don't want that tree. And so what does he do? Verse 8 tells us he challenges the goodness because why? He's, he's wanting us to, to believe the empty philosophies and the high-sounding, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than the truths that come from christ for in christ lives all the fullness of god in a human body so you and i are now complete through our union with christ and we said yes to him we entered into a union with him And he is the head ruler over everything and the authority over everything. And so he's saying to us, why do we stand firm? Because our commander in chief is Christ. And all that he's given us, there's reasons to be thankful and not to challenge the goodness of God. So who is your authority? I want you to hear me. This is strong language, but I want you to hear me. Satan hates you. God, the father loves you out of Satan's hatred for you. because see you're a child of God and he, he longs for that and he can never have that. He hates you and he wants to kill, steal and destroy you. And out of his hatred, he does everything he can possibly do to condemn you. And a building that is condemned is rendered useless right before it's destroyed. Satan wants to condemn you so that you have a sense and a feeling that you are utterly worthless. And you are good for nothing. And that you sit on the sidelines. And so whose authority are you listening to? Whose words are you listening to? So if you, you you listen to the empty philosophies and the teachings of this world, he is going to condemn you and you're going to be put on the sideline where God the Father over here who loves you doesn't condemn you, but he convicts you. See, in those moments when we mess up, he doesn't condemn us. He convicts us and says, listen, my child, I love you. Because I love you, you you're going down a path that's going to harm you, that's going to hurt you, that's going to destroy you, that's going to kill you. I want to convict you. I want to draw your face and your eyes away from that, that tree that's making you question my goodness. That's really junk. I want to draw your eyes to me. To Jesus. And I want to convict you with your eyes upon who Jesus is. I want you to see that the appetites over here will only bring you shame, regret. Pain. But it's conviction. When we go astray, it doesn't condemn us. The Romans eight tells us there is therefore there is now no condemnations for those who are in Christ. But Satan, our enemy, is working hard. He's a wounded animal. And he knows he's already lost, but on his way out, he's going to take out as many as he can. His his agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy, and condemnation is the way that he does it. And he challenges, makes us challenge the goodness of God. And so Paul tells us, dig in your roots, build your life upon Christ, continue in him, because life will come. Spiritual warfare is real, and he will attack you when you least think that it's going to happen. And you'll be condemned. You'll sense Condemnation, and feel like your building is utterly useless. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 12 and 13, it says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Why? Because it's not just about you, it's about the team. Pride comes before the fall. When you think you've got it figured out, when you think you are the champion, or you're the strongest, or you're the smartest, or you can do it in your own strength, and things are going well, be ready. Because you may fall Verse 13 the temptation in your life are no different from what others experience the temptation to ring the bell and to quit Everybody's got it it's just a matter how long when what what are we going to put up with but god is faithful So continue in him He won't allow the temptation to be more than you can stand Endurance Staying together again, not in his own strength. It's by his strength and his mighty power that we stand. When you are tempted to ring the bell and to quit, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Someone and the team will begin singing the songs of the saints. Because they can see in you in that moment, they've been tempted to quit. And they can see in you that you're wiggling your way out and they'll begin to sing the songs of the saints. Amazing grace, how great the sound. Whatever the song may be and it makes us realize that it's not just about me in that moment, but it's all about us And that the war is won, but the battle is real But that we can endure and we can stand And then he also gives us to stand firm. He gives us battle gear If you look verses 14 and following he talks about the ability to stand firm. Why because we have battle gear And our battle gear is broken up into two sections. One is that there's defensive battle gear and there's offensive battle gear. And interesting enough, five of the pieces are defensive and two are offensive. And God provides us this gear. This is interesting. God provides us this gear, but we have the responsibility to put the gear on to be armed for the victory. In other words, when we become his children, he lays out our clothes on the bed and he says, Hey, you're going to the school of life today. Here's your outfit. And I don't know about you, but at our house, sometimes when our kids were younger, mom would lay out the outfits. Because mom had an image that she wanted to portray to everybody, right? Now, this is a little bit at our house, probably into your house too. But That we want an image, and and sometimes our children would come down dressed in a totally different outfit. And I thought it was kind of cool, kind of funny, because they're doing their thing. And mom was like, what in the world happened Why are you wearing cowboy boots and a Hannah Montana wig and shorts? Or why do you not know it is 10 degrees below zero? Why do you have flip flops and shorts on? I'm just going to let you go. You're going to figure it. Yeah, you are going to suffer the consequences for dressing like this. So I got to take the kids to school because mom didn't want to deal with the embarrassment of dropping the kids off dressed like this. You know what I mean? But that's how God does with us with our battle gear. We're his children, and he puts it out. He says, this is what you need to wear. The school of life is real. You're going to have some temptations. You're going to have some struggles. You're going to have to stand firm. And if you don't put on the clothes that I give you and you don't wear it in the way that I have you wear it, you will be susceptible to injury and harm and hurts. So sometimes it takes time for us to get it. It takes others to show us how to wear it. That sometimes it takes embarrassment of peers to say, "Listen, okay, maybe I shouldn't wear cowboy boots with shorts." And so there's the first three pieces of the battle gear. One is the belt of truth, the armor of righteousness and the shoes of peace. These three are to be they're defensive, but they're to be worn all of the time. That Paul uses language that it's once you put them on, you should not take them off. That even when you go to bed to rest, that you should be ready for battle because the the horn may sound at any time. So you need to be you need to have the belt of truth on, the armor of righteousness, and the shoes of peace to be worn on all the time. The second pieces, second of three pieces, the shield, the helmet, and the sword, we can pick up according according to the as the situation arises. That there are baby moments where we need to put on the big sword as arrows are flying or we need the helmet and hand-to-hand combat and obviously the sword. And the sword is an offensive weapon. The sword of truth is a two-edged sword. It brings life and it brings death. It's the word of God that as it cuts through, it brings death to those things that need to be pruned, but it also brings life. Not only to our enemies, but also to our own life. And then the last offensive weapon is prayer. Communication. Communication is key in battle. One of the things that even today and as advanced as battle weapons and all that stuff is one of the key things that they try to do is try to disrupt communication because they know if communication can be disrupted, it creates chaos and it creates fear and anxiety because people don't know what's happening on the battlefield. They can't have their eyes everywhere. And so tendency for troops to begin to scatter. And so for us as followers of Jesus, our commander is God the Father. And so if he's our authority figure, we're standing firm and we have our gear on and we are waiting for his commands. And the way that he communicates with us is through prayer. Two-way line of going back and forth and saying, God, I hear you. Here we go. We're going to advance. We're going to retreat. Communication is important. So why do we stand firm? Cuz spiritual warfare is real. We may not see it, we may not understand it, but it's working and it's Satan is a wounded animal doing his thing to steal, kill and destroy on the way out. There's a story in Acts chapter 19. Where Paul has been in Ephesus now for two almost 3 years and as we talked about Ephesus recently, I mean, the church at Ephesus was a the city of Ephesus was a huge city and and the gospel was working and doing its stuff. And so churches are being established and it's because of Paul's work at Ephesus for that length of time. And, and Paul's work was happening. And one of the interesting things about Paul's work was not just that new churches were starting, but miracles were happening. And some of them were, were directly from Paul. Like Paul would pray over somebody, touch them and there would be healing as, as we kind of traditionally see. But also there was this, like a cheesy Christian movie is what I envision. And that there were moments where maybe Paul had, had been somewhere teaching and he just had worked up a sweat and walked, wiped off his sweat with a handkerchief. And that that handkerchief, somehow or another, would end up at somebody's house. And somebody that needed healing would touch that handkerchief and they would be healed. So I don't understand it, but that's what was happening. That's That was the power of the gospel through Paul in that season in Ephesus. And so you can imagine the crowds and the power and authority that, that Paul was gaining as he spent time in Ephesus and as he's teaching and people are coming to Christ and they're they're leaving the temple of, of Artemis and leaving the, the that cult and all of that and all the other cults in and, and a culture that's um, based upon astrology and magic and all those type of things, and they're seeing the magic of Paul through Christ. And so there were some Jewish exorcists who had been practicing magic – and had had some authority, had had some teaching, had had some crowds, but now those crowds were leaving because of Paul's work or Christ's work through Paul in Ephesus. And so these exorcists decided hey, we want to, 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 to have some of Paul's fun. And so these exorcists, it says in Acts chapter 19, there's a, a man who was known to have an evil spirit, possessed by demons. And these exorcists went up and said to this guy here, I mean, let me quote it for you. I command you in the names of Jesus that Paul preaches to come out. So you can imagine here's these exorcist guys, a demon possessed, and these guys walk up. I command you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And here's the response. From the evil spirit I know Jesus I know Paul I don't know you Now listen If I was an exorcist I would have run (laughs) They would have known me as Usain Bolt (laughs) Back then And the evil spirit That was in the man Attacked Physically attacked this exorcist And they did run Listen, I tell you 2 Kings 6 and I tell you Acts 19, because listen, what happens in Scripture still happens today. The work of heaven has not stopped. The work of spiritual warfare has not stopped. I don't understand all of it. But I I do know, without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus died, rose again, and is the Passover lamb for us. And that he reclaimed the authority that we gave over in... The garden he reclaimed it through his death burial and resurrection and in that we have victory in christ We have power and authority that is not ours But that is his the battle still rages and we stand together There may be moments we want to ring the bell, but together we encourage each other empower one another in his strength In his mighty power and in his strength we can enduringly stand till the end of the age Because we know that the battle rages, but the war is won in Christ. Spiritual warfare is real. And in Christ, you're part of God's army. The outcome is decided. Stand firm. Listen to your commander. This was made uh, real to me again this week. I um, had the opportunity to be the voice of the LaGrange Leopards, freshman and JV team. So at the stadium, I'm the one talking and all that stuff. And uh, it was funny because no one knew that I was going to be there that day doing that. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm kind of watching you. You can peer over and people, you can see people going, wait, that, that voice sounds familiar. You're like, what? Why am I hearing that voice? And some were even like, I'm walking into the stadium and I'm like, I know that voice. And then they look up and they they see me. And they're like, Oh, I know that voice. Over all the other voices, they, I I know that voice. I was reminded this week of that. As in the midst of all the voices, those that we do life with and we continue in, we hear their voice with clear distinction. And I'm sorry that you know my voice. But maybe if maybe you'll be reminded that the voice of Jesus, may his voice speak to you with such clarity that you know that your commander is saying, Stand firm, endure to the end. And when he calls us forward to advance, we advance. All is one. And when he calls us to retreat, we retreat. And to know that the battle is raging, but our commander has already won. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you've already won. May we be just reminded that in Christ, we have the power and authority. Father, may we continue in you and listen to your voice. May our roots grow down deep in you. May our foundation be built upon you. That our house may it not be built upon straw so that when the winds of life come, it crashes. But that our house... Built-in Christ will stand the storms of life. For spiritual warfare will come. May we be ready. May we be clothed for the battle. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.